0: This morning, we'll look at the creation story. Last week, if you were with us, we looked at two verses, verses one and two. We talked about God was at the beginning of all of creation. He was even before creation, and it's all about God. Everything that this book is about, not just Genesis, but the entire Bible, is about God. It's not about man. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, man. So it's about Him. So the writer Moses is pointing our brains, our hearts towards the God of the universe that speaks everything into existence. And now the writer Moses is going to draw our attention to the creation account. One of my fears is in this creation account, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture to us. Most of us, we learn the creation story as Little boys and little girls. And so we, we can often lose sight of what God truly had for us because it becomes so common to us. And so this morning what I want to do is take the common and try to make it uncommon and more familiar, uh, less familiar, so to grab the attention of our hearts and our minds. And you may think to yourself, how is He going to teach us about creation? Because it's so self-explanatory. Day one, God did this. Day two, God did this. Day three, God did this. Day four, and so on. So I won't necessarily look at creation in the sense of what God did on those days. You can read that for yourself, but what I want to do is look at a few things in your notes. If you're taking notes, the outline is this. The flow of creation, the form of creation, and the founder in creation. I must say this at the start of the message. This. Outline is not original in and of it of of me. As I was studying and preparing this week, uh, one of the writers that I read often gave this outline. So this outline is not original to me. Uh, Some of the concepts in the outline are original to me, but not the actual outline. And so I want to look first this morning at the flow of creation. There is a reason that God created creation in the way that He created it. So we'll first look at the arrangement of the flow of creation. If you can think in your mind this way this morning. If you ever come to an arrangement of music, it's been written in a certain way to give sound a certain way. And if there's not an arrangement, then all it is is just chaotic mess. So if you've ever been to a, a symphony... The conductor gets up and all the musicians has the arrangements in front of them. But it's the conductor that sets the course for how that arrangement is to be played. So I want to say that from the start. Remember what it says in chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and it was void. What Moses is saying to us, what God is presenting to us through the author Moses is this. That that at the start of creation, it was chaotic. That's what it means. If you ever think of something void and formless, it's chaotic. Right? And so we see at the very start of creation that there's chaos happening, but the great conductor gets into his place and then begins to bring to the chaos structure. So there's structure from the very get-go. Remember, we said last week that God has always had a plan. Even before the foundations of the world, God always had a plan. And now in creation, he has a plan. And I want to look at the plan that God has for us in creation. Because he's going to take chaos and he's going to put it into rhythm. He's going to write his masterpiece line by line, note by note the ways that creation occurred in the six days and the seventh being the day of rest, this is not by happenstance. There is a reason that God chose to create the world and all the things in the world the way that He did. If you just simply look at it this way, God starts in day one, He ends in day six. Day six is the combination of all the other five days. And so what God is doing is preparing for his greatest masterpiece to have a dwelling place. But even in the dwelling place, there's a rhythm that God is setting in place. The creation account can be broken into two parts. We'll see this morning the first part. We'll see next week the second part. Days one and three and days four through six, with the ending being day seven a day of rest. So what happens in day one and three? What happens in day four through six? I would submit to you this morning this way. That days one through three is the forming of the earth. It's as if we have a potter with a piece of moldless clay in front of him. And that great potter, we know this to be true, that's one of his uh, names in Isaiah. He's called the great potter. And so there's this piece of clay that's set in front of it. It's voidless and it's formless. And now we'll see that the the great potter begins to put it into motion and begins to form it in such a way. Well, the first three days are the way that he forms creation. Verses days four through six is God fulfilling what he has formed. So if you think of it this way, the potter is making a vessel or making... A vase. Well, you make a vase to put something in it. And so God, in His wisdom, is forming this vase that He knows He's going to ultimately fulfill. And so I want to look at that this morning. The arrangement is this. Today we are looking at God forming the earth. Next week we'll look at God fulfilling the earth. But I want to notice something in Scripture. The correspondence with the arrangement. Now, I don't know this. I'm not a musician in any way. But if you've ever gone, like I said, to see an orchestra, they put all the musical pieces in an arrangement, but then they also have to correspond with one another. They have to go together, or it's going to be a disaster. And so we'll see the correspondence briefly. On day one, it says this. Day one was the creation of light and the separation of light and darkness. Day two is the sky and the water being separated. Day three is the land or the vegetation. But we see the correspondence with day one to day four. So Day one is the separation of dark and lightness. Day four is the moon and the sun. Those two things go together. you got to put this in a side note. I'm going to come back to this in a moment. There was no moon or stars or sun at day one. That happened at day four. That's an important piece of the creation story. So we see the fulfillment in day four with day one. We see the fulfillment in day five with day two. God created the sky and the water. Well, what did He do in day five? He filled the sky and the water. What did He fill it with? Birds and fish. So God and His wisdom and His sovereignty is putting and pu- pointing us in a direction. I'm doing these things and so that I can do these things. We have a God that's a God of order, amen? And we see that from the very start of creation. And, and God could do it however God wants to do it. So if he wanted to have some way, somehow, day one, separate the light and the dark, and then day two, put fish in there, he could have done it. He's showing us that no, 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 I'm a God of order. He's always had an order to every event that occurs. Day three is this. The land. He finally takes the land and forms what we have as a planet. And then what does he do on after he forms it and puts the land and the sea apart from each other? That's day six. He fills the land With vegetation. That's day three. Why does he put vegetation on it? So that day six could happen. So that he could make animals and humans. To live on the land. And to eat. And to prosper. And so we see throughout this story. God's design and his plan. That he's orchestrating. To get ready for us. Humans. Not only do we see the arrangement. Not only do we see. The correspondence, how it all works together. That he's taking chaos and bringing more and more and more structure into existence. The next thing we see is this. And this is amazing. If you have time, I would encourage you to go back and look at this. We see perfection throughout all of chapter 1. So not only is God's arrangement on point, not only God's correspondence on point, But now we we see over and over, it's perfectly done. There's nothing out of place. There's perfection at creation. Now we would read and we would read closely and observe closely that after every day, God saw it and God said it and God declared it. And what did he say about what he saw and called and declared? He said it was good. That means it's perfect. But I would submit to you this morning, it's a step beyond that. It's beyond just one simple word of it being good. You know, in the Hebrew literature, the the number seven shows us perfection. You know anything about the Hebrews, they look to the number seven as a number of perfection. I want to look real closely this morning at all the places in just one chapter we see the number seven represented. Remember last week I submitted to you this, that the word Elohim, the word God, is declared 35 times in one chapter. What's, How do we get to the number 35? Seven times five. You think that's by accident that the writer through the inspiration of God used the word God 35 times? No, this is God saying, I am perfect. God did not, in His uh, wisdom, just happily throw the number 35 in God's Word. He wants us to see, first and foremost, that He's center of all things. God, more than anything else, in this account, in one chapter, is declared more than anything else. It's just about God. But in His wisdom, in His sovereignty, in His creativity, He makes it 35 times. God could have made it 34 times or 36 times. But he's showing us, no, no, I'm a perfect God. I do things perfectly. And this is how the perfect God does things perfectly. The the word heaven is declared 21 times in one chapter. How do we get to 21? Seven times three. We see earth 21 times. How many days do we see? Seven. And then lastly, this. We see that God saw it and God said it 21 times. So all of chapter one and God's wisdom and his sovereignty is pointing us to a perfect God. Now we could just read this chapter and this account and miss it. But the writer, through the inspired Holy Spirit, God, is showing us, no, no, it all starts with my perfection. His plan is perfect in all that He does. The plan of redemption is perfect. We saw that last week, that God, before all of creation, had a plan to redeem mankind. And He's saying in chapter 1, one chapter, It is all perfect. Which says this. None of this happened because of the Big Bang. All of this points us that there's a God who's sovereign and in control of all things and He did it His way, how He wanted to do it, when He wanted to do it, and He did it perfectly. Like if we just dissect the Big Bang theory that's all by chance like somehow one day in the cosmos just by chance these two things collided together and boom it happened no no what happened was this perfectly it said this god said and it happened it's called fiat the command of god is what brought creation into place not some haphazard event that just happened some four billion years ago by chance. It was the command of the perfect words of God that put it in all into motion. Not only that, but it was his perfect wisdom that he then calls it things and names it things. So the creator creates it, the creator names it, and now we see he perfectly sees it. And what does he see when he sees what he perfectly created? It was good. But that started way before creation. And so I would ask this of you this morning. Do you see the flow of creation? We could just stop there. And not going to the rest of the sermon. Like, have you ever seen all this in one small chapter of the Bible, which sets us up to have to believe that the rest of the Bible has been perfectly written? If God and His wisdom took all this time and energy and wisdom to write one chapter at the very start of creation, how much more time and energy do they put into the rest of the Word of God? one chapter, all these details. But we have to believe in these details at the beginning if you're going to believe in the details of the rest. See, if you don't believe that God had a purpose and a plan already set in place, then you're not going to believe the purpose and the plan. If I come to a, a manual, and I don't believe in the first few pages of the manual, then the rest of the manual, I might as well just scrap it. But how often do we do that in God's Word? I may offend some people in this comment. If you believe in the Big Bang Theory, there's no way you can believe in the rest of the Bible. Because then you don't really believe that God created then you don't really believe that God has command over all of creation. Then you don't really believe that God is sovereign and all powerful. That man, God was just sitting back and just poof, it happened, and it caught him off guard. And he's been scrambling ever since. So if you believe in the Big Bang, I would declare to you, you do not know the God of this Bible. And if you don't know the God of this Bible, then you'll never know the Savior of your life. Which is why we are in the mess we're in. Because people do not believe in the very first four words of this Bible. In the beginning, God, Elohim, God, the plural, God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. That's, that's why Mormons got it wrong. That's why the Muslims got it wrong. On and on I can go. Because they do not believe in the God of the first four ver- words of this Bible. Which means they don't understand the rest of it. So do we believe that God is perfect and has a perfect flow for his creation? Which means he has a perfect flow for your life as well. The second point is this, the form of creation. I will spend very little time on this. At the very start of creation, we see a few simple words. God said. Which declares to us every day at the beginning of that creation, it says that God said. It's His powerful words. Remember last week we talked, it was Christ Himself, the Word of God. We see that in John. That the Word of God, Christ Jesus, spoke all things into existence. And so on every creation day, it's God speaking through Christ to put things into motion. It means it's about Him and Him alone. It's His power. It's His control over all creation. He is alone alone the one that brings order to the chaos. Which means this, and I'll get to this at the end. He has to be the God in your life that brings order to your chaos. If He did it at the start of creation, He wants to do it in your life today. We see the powerful words of Christ to start creation. And we see that God said this over and over. All of creation is the goodness of God. But catch this one word that we see in day one and two. And it sets us up for the rest of the creation story. It's this in verse four. It's the first time we see it. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the night from the darkness. Again, it says in verse seven, and God made the expanses and separated the waters from under the expanse from the other waters. Now, I don't know what all that means exactly. The waters, the heavenly waters, the earthly waters. I don't know. But what I do know from this text is this, that from creation, God has been a God that separates. Catch that. That God, we see day one is this. Hold this thought. I'm going to get to it at the end. That he says that the light is good. He does not declare the dark to be good. He only declares the light to be good. Which he's setting us up to say this. All throughout the Bible, when you see light, it's associated with God. When you see darkness, who's it associated with? The evil one. And so at day one, he's already showing us the separation in his creation between the light and the darkness. That's one word that's from the day one of creation is showing us the separation. And so what God is saying... The light is good and darkness is bad. But do we believe that? And so he is a God that separates. He is a God that's going to call into account those that are in the light and those that are in the darkness. And I don't like to say that, but there will be a call from God, a separation from God for those that are over here and those that are over here. He's been doing it since day one of creation. Now, again, we can come to this passage, verse 4, and just separate. He put this over here and this over here. No, no, he put this over here and declared the light good. And make no mention about the darkness. We believe that we have a God who separates. Day three is the sky and the heavenly waters. Day three is the vegetation. He's preparing the ultimate place for his creation. But I want to look this morning with a few moments that we have left about the founder in creation. Let's go back to verse three. It says this, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light and it was good. Now remember, the moon and the stars don't come into place till when day four so what light is god talking about like if there's no light from the sun then what in the world is god talking about in day one that he separates and puts this good light and says that it's good i would submit to you this what does it tell us in john chapter 8 let's turn there this morning That's page 894 in your pew bibles. This is Jesus talking. And he says this in verse 12. And again, Jesus spoke to him and said, I am what? The light of the world. Whoever follows me will not what? walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So I would submit to you this morning that that light that's been separated from the darkness is Christ Jesus himself. Listen to this. At where? Day one, we see Jesus being declared good from his Father. It's as if he's saying, this is my begotten Son, whom I am well pleased. He is good. It happened at day one. Now we read it back in the Gospels that God declared that. No, God didn't declare his son was good in the Gospels. God declared his son to be good at day one. Don't miss that in the account. So the founder of our creation, remember it's Christ's words that speak things into existence. It's God through Christ Jesus at day one that we see Jesus is the light of the world. Well, how can we need light? Because there's darkness. And God in His sovereignty knew that there would be darkness. Therefore, He knew that there has to be light. And so He gave us His Son, Jesus, to be the light of the world. Not only that, but we know this to be true about Jesus as well. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Catch this in this passage, verse 23. I'll start in verse 22. So chapter 21 of Revelation. Verse 22. And I saw no temple. This is John that's been pulled up into heaven. And he's writing the revelation that he's been revealed to him by God about the heavens. Remember, the first thing he saw was God himself. And he saw the angels crying, holy, holy, holy. And then it says this in verse 22 and I saw no temple in that city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb. There's no temple, there's no church in heaven because Jesus Himself is the temple. But it doesn't stop there. Look what else it says in the following verse and the city had no need for sun or moon to shine on it. There was no need for, and there is no need. In heaven, for there to be a sun or a moon or any kind of light. How come? How come? Because it says, there is no need for the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives light. But what's the glory of God? Remember, if God called it good, that's the glory of God. So what is God declaring good? What is God declaring His glory to be? It's found in the next few words. It is the lamp. It is the Lamb. And who is Jesus Christ? He is the Lamb. There is no need for a son because there is the ultimate son already in heaven. He is the light. But it started where? Day one of creation. Now again, we just come to the creation story and we hear, oh, God did this. No, no, God is doing something at day one. He's separating his son to be the light of the world for all to see him because he knows that we live in darkness, so he's giving us a way out of the darkness through his son. Don't don't miss that on day one. That doesn't happen 4,000 years when he comes to this planet. That happens at day one of creation. Not only is he the light of the world. But he is also this. The creator of the world. Thank God he's not just the light of the world. But we know this from John chapter 1. Let's turn to John chapter 1. I looked at it briefly last week. Remember how the writer... Of the Gospel of John starts. In the beginning was the Word. Notice in your Bible that's capital W, which means it's referring to someone, not something. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not only was He with God, but it's declaring He is equal to God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. Without him, nothing is made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. So he is our creator because he's the light and because he's the word of God. So at creation, day one, when God speaks, God, through Christ Jesus, is there with him. And he's speaking things as the creator of the world because he's the light of the world. Those two things must go together. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians chapter eight, verse six. You do not need to turn with me for the sake of time this morning. But it says this. Paul says this to affirm what's being said at day one of creation, what Jesus declared to be true about himself, what John declared to be true about him. It says this, Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, whom all things are all things, and for whom we exist. One Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all whom our things are created, through him exists. He is saying in that passage, he is the creator of all things, you and I included. He's the light of the world. He's the creator of the world. Here's the thing that we must see a day one of creation. And we see this in just one page over. Chapter three, I'll get there in a few months. God cannot just be, and Christ cannot just be the light of the world. He cannot just be creator of the world. He must be this last thing. And he must be this for every single man woman, and child in this building. He must be the Savior of the world. And that's what he's declaring in chapter 1, verse 3, at day 1. God separated the light from the darkness. And he said that the light was good because the light is what shines into the darkness to bring salvation. Without without light, in darkness, there will always be darkness. It's the light that shows into the darkness that brings out the things that are in the darkness. And so at day one of creation, God's declaring His Son to be good, not just because He's the light of the world, not just because He's the creation of the world, but because He's the Savior of the world. At day one of creation, before the fall ever happened, but my question to you and to me is this. Is that true for you? You see, again, Christ. Is the order of all things, Christ is the light, Christ is the creator. But Christ must be your savior. It is so true that. Despite what you believe to be about him, he will be those three things. And one day you will find out those three things are true about him. My prayer is simply this. That you don't have to wait to that side of eternity to realize that God is the light of the world through Christ Jesus. That Jesus is the creator and sustainer and author of all things. But most importantly, he is the savior of the world. So often we wait to get to John three sixteen to believe that. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. But God was making that declaration in John three sixteen, where at day one of creation in Genesis chapter one verse three. And so I would offer and submit to you: when you read the creation story, you must read it through the lens of the gospel. Not the lens of this is a children's story. It is the gospel at center stage. At day one of creation. That sets the tone for the rest of creation. And what's to come after creation. Do we believe this morning. That Jesus. Is the light of the world. And do we believe. What God declared about him. At day one. That he. Do you notice one thing about all the creation story? The first thing that God said was good was his son. Do We believe that to be true today. God, through Christ Jesus, is the Savior of the world. And it started at day one of creation. My prayer is it starts for you. If you don't know Christ, today would be the first day of your creation. Paul says this, all those who place their life in Christ Jesus, you are now a new creation. Let this be your day one and your salvation and your creation story. Because I promise this, that he, he who begins a good work will make sure it comes to completion. God is going to form you. And maybe that's you today. God is forming you. To be his son or his daughter today. But now let me talk to the vast majority of you in the room. If you've already placed your life and hope and faith in Christ. He has already formed you. But my call to you is this. Is there room in your life for God to fill you? You see if there's sin in your life as a believer. There's no room for God to fill you up. With His Holy Spirit. They too cannot exist. So if He's already formed you. Is He filling you? If you're not being filled with the Lord. I would offer this to you. Is there sin in your life. That's preventing you from being filled. With the Holy Spirit today. Because that is what Christ wants to do in your life. Is give you the Holy Spirit. But He cannot coexist with sin in your life. God is always forming. And God is always filling. But He cannot and will not fill. Your life and my life, if there's sin in my life, the two cannot coexist. And so for you, if you're a believer, you've been formed. Are you being filled with Christ today? Let us pray.